0: This podcast is a presentation of Nags Head Church. Stay tuned and find us online at nagsheadchurch.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at nagsheadchurch. Church. Good morning. Good morning. Can you have a seat? My name is Tom, and um, I'll be sharing a message this morning. Uh, Rick is out of town. He'll be back next week, and if um, you were here last week, you know Steve and Bernie were here, and uh, they filled in, did a great job, uh, great service last week with the baptism and the Lord's Supper. Uh, Today we're starting a new series, so Rick has asked me to kick this off for us from time to time for our guests, who you may not have been here before. For guests that may be uh, their first time, Uh, this is not what I usually do. Sometimes I help Rick from time to time, but he's usually up here preaching and he'll be back next week. Uh, We're doing a series, starting a series today. It's going to be a four week series, and today is the first uh, week, and then Rick will do the next three. Um, the, The series that we're getting ready to start is called A Story of God's Provision, and it's the story of Ruth from the Old Testament. And a lot of our folks, or if you've been in church for a while, you've probably heard the story of Ruth or read through that. Um, you may not, some people may not have, and so we're going to work our way through that. Today we're going to do something a little bit different. We're going to cover the first, the whole first chapter of Ruth, and so we're going to be work- working our way through that, and then Rick, like I said, will be um, coming next week and talking about chapter two, and then chapter three, and chapter four. So we're going to work our way through that. Uh, most people look at the book of Ruth as a love story. You know, a, a lot of ladies like to do ladies, uh, you know, Bible studies on the book of Ruth because it's such, you know, there's romance in the story, you know, and, and it is a story of romance to some extent, but it's much, much more than that. The book of Ruth is much more than just a story of a man and a woman coming together and finding love. Uh, it's a story of, of God's grace and his mercy, and what we're talking about in this whole series is God's provision, how he provides for us, his providence. So we're looking at that this um, next couple of few weeks. Um, Some of the things we're going to be looking at is um, God's providence, and how he works in our lives, and how he also provides for us, and as I said before, we're going to be uh, examining God's mercy and his grace So what we're going to do um, this morning is we're going to get us started out. I want to open it up a little bit and kind of give you some background so you can understand it as we work through this. And so the time of Ruth, uh, the book of Ruth was written um, between, you know, if you look in the Old Testament, the, the book of Judges. And we talked about this a few weeks ago, that that was a very dark time for the nation of Israel, the book of Judges. The people, um, Israel had just come into the land, God had brought them in, and you know the story um, how you know God brought them into the land, and they, they killed a lot of people, and they took over the land, and they put a lot of the enemy out, but they didn't quite do the job um, that God wanted them to do, and they didn't drive everyone out. And so after that generation, that first generation that came out of the wilderness and, and took the land they kind of forgot about God. And so um, there was a period of time there where they they pretty much did, the Bible says, whatever they wanted, and they went after other gods. And so it was a very, very dark time for the nation of Israel. It was a time when God's people did whatever they wanted and worshipped whatever gods they chose. And they forgot, on the most part, about their God, about the God, the one true God. And so they followed after other things. There was also people and during that time, though, who were faithful. The, and, of course, we know the, the faith carried on to some people and some generations, from generation to generation. And some people um, were faithful in that time. But for the most part, the nation didn't follow God. It was also a very dark time. Um, you know, most of the Old Testament, when you read through that, you have to keep a mindset of, of what was going on with the people, and you have to imagine, put your, yourself in their, in their shoes. Women had a very hard time in that day in the Middle East, and it was very hard for them um, if they didn't have protection or if they didn't have a husband or a man to provide for them and to watch over them protect them. It was a very tough time. It was a time when the main concerns were simply food, water, and protection. And when you woke up in the morning, that's what you thought about. When here, and I, you know, we lived in the 21st century, you know, what we're thinking about is, is our clothes, we're thinking about our jobs, you know. We don't think about, I've got to get up in the morning and make sure that um, we have to plant food so that we can eat in a couple of months. And so everything was dependent on the agriculture, and the rain, and the water that God provided, and the food. So it was a very tough time. Most of us cannot relate to that whole concept of providing for yourself, you know, day by day, and and worrying about food and, and security. Israel had a lot of enemies, like I said, that they didn't put out of the land, and so they were being attacked from time to time from different enemies, and and so they had to worry about that also. They didn't have a king. God was supposed to be their king, but they had rejected God as their king. And so they didn't have a, a king that had an army to protect them. And they were pretty much on their own, most, most towns, most peoples. Now, the place of Ruth takes place in a, uh, It starts and opens in a little town called Bethlehem. You may have heard that town before. And you can see where that's at. And another part of our story ta- happens over in Moab, on the other side of the sea. Uh, the land of Moab was a place that um, one of Israel's enemies lived. You may remember the story of um, Lot and Abraham. Lot's, um, um, his two sons that he had from his two daughters, they got him drunk, and, and they, um, they had two sons by their dad. And one of the sons was... Um, where this nation come from, Moabite. They were Moabite and they were Moab. And that was where this um, nation got its start. And they were an enemy of God. It was one of those lands where the people um, worshiped other gods. And so God didn't want um, his people, the Israelites, intermingling with them and, and, and because they didn't want the influence of other gods and them following other gods. So that was the, um, the other place in the story as we'll look at. One of the things you need to be aware of as we read through the Old Testament is that it's structured a little bit different than the New Testament. You know, one of Rick's favorite sayings is when you're reading the New Testament, you know, when we're reading through different scriptures, you know, and it says, therefore, you have to look and see what it's there for. You know, so a lot of times in the New Testament, uh, especially in Paul's writing, he'll, he'll write something, he'll make an argument for something, and then he'll say, therefore. And, and when the whole idea is that he says, you know, this is what, you know, this is a fact here. Therefore, act this way, or therefore, don't do this, or therefore, do this, or therefore, change the way you're thinking about this. But in the Old Testament, a lot of times God just throws things out there, and it's up to us to kind of grab the lesson from there, you know. And so that you got to keep that in mind as you're reading Old Testament stories. A lot of times you'll hear uh, people on TV or the radio, and they'll talk about. Um, Things like, well, well, look at the Old Testament saints. You know, They had more than one wife, so that must have been what God wanted for them. You know, Just because it says they had more than one wife doesn't mean that was God's plan for them. It's just telling you that's part of the story. And So you've got to keep that in mind as we study through this book. There's a lot of different um, um, traditions and things that go along that will help you understand that. And we'll talk again more about them in the next couple of weeks. So just keep that in mind. Sometimes, as you're reading through the Old Testament, it's good to have a little bit of imagination to put yourself in that place at that time. As I was talking about with women, you know, it's hard for um, a lot of our women in this day to understand the mindset of what a woman would have had back then. And so, we'll talk a little bit about that also. One of the things you need to be careful, though, as you do use your imagination study in studying the Old Testament, is you can't add things to it, you can't add things in that aren't there or that aren't um, characteristics of who God is or his character. We can't add to the story. We just have to read what's there and understand what God is trying to teach us through it. There are a lot of things in this story, as I said, we'll talk about and explain in the next couple of weeks about how to understand just exactly what lessons God is trying to teach us through Ruth. So what I'm going to do this morning is I want to read through the first chapter. That's what we're going to be talking about today. And so if you have, you know, your little Bible on your phone, you can look through that. But uh, also if you don't, there's some Bibles in the pews because we're going to read the whole chapter. So you may want to open that up and take a look. And that's on page 236 of the, one of the Bibles that are in your chairs there. Page 236. All right, so I'm going to start reading in verse 1. Verse <clears> 1. <throat> During the time of the judges, there was a famine in the land. A man left Bethlehem in Judah with his wife and two sons to live in the land of Moab for a while. The man's name was Elimelech, and his wife's name was Naomi. The names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathrites from Bethlehem in Judah. They entered the land of Moab and settled there. Naomi's husband, Elimelech, died, and she was left with her two sons. Her sons took Moabite women as their wives. One was named Orpah, the second was named Ruth. After they lived in Moab for ten years, both Malon and Kilion also died, and Naomi was left without her two children and without her husband. She and her daughters-in-law prepared to leave the land of Moab because she had heard in Moab that the Lord had paid attention to his people's need by providing them food. She left the place where she had been living, accompanied by her two daughters in law's daughters in law, and travelled along the road leading, leading back to the land of Judah. She said to them, One of you go back each of you go back to your mother's home, may the Lord show faithful love to you as you have shown to the dead and to me. May the Lord enable each of you to find security in the house of your new husband. She kissed them, and they wept loudly. No, they said to her, we will go with you to your people. But Naomi replied, return home, my daughters. Why do you want to go with me? Am I able to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. Go on, for I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me to have a husband tonight and to bear sons, would you be willing to wait for them to grow up? Would you restrain yourselves from remarrying? No, my daughters. My life is much too bitter for you to share because the Lord's hand is turned against me. Again, they wept loudly, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Naomi said, look, your sister-in-law... Has gone back to her people and to her God. Follow your sister in law. But Ruth replied, Do not persuade me to leave you or go back and not follow you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May Yahweh punish me and do so severely if anything but death separates you and me. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped trying to persuade her. The two of them traveled until they came to Bethlehem. When they entered Bethlehem, the whole town was excited about their arrival, and the local women exclaimed, Can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, call me Mara, she answered. For the Almighty has made me very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi? Since the Lord has pronounced judgment on me, and the Almighty has afflicted me. Say So Naomi came back from the land of Moab with her daughter-in-law, Ruth, the Moabites. They arrived in Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. All right. So don't keep reading. I know everybody wants to keep reading the story and find out what happens in the next chapter. Don't do that this morning. Go home and do that. <clears throat> It'll only take you probably about 15 minutes to read through the whole book of Ruth, and I encourage you to do that this week um, as we go through this series and get ready uh, for the next couple of weeks. Now, one thing to remember again, um, as you're reading through the Old Testament, uh, Bible names a lot of, most of the time had meanings, Hebrew meanings, and they were significant to the people that they had, that had the names. And so let's take a look at um, the people in the first chapter here. First of all, the, the town of Bethlehem, the meaning of that town, the name is uh, House of Bread. But, of course, we know there was a famine that says there was a famine there. Not really sure um, what caused the famine. A lot of times in that day, and, and if you read through the book of Judges, um, their enemies would come and do stuff to the field and, and do something to the crops so that they, can't, they couldn't grow crops. Or it could have been something that, where there was a drought and they, they had no rain. But for whatever it was, there was a famine in the land. Uh, Elimelech was the man who left Bethlehem and went to Moab with his family. His name means my God is king. But Israel on a whole had rejected God as king. So all we know about him is the meaning of his name and that he left. Naomi meant pleasant, her name meant pleasant, but later on we'll see that her she changed her name to Mara, which means bitter. Malon, one of the sons, his name meant sickly. And Kilion meant weak or failing. Now, Ruth and Orpah, um, we don't really have meanings for their names because their names were Moabite names, and so they weren't Hebrew names, and so we're not really sure uh, what their names meant. Uh, But one thing that Rick sent me a little thing, a little, I guess, useless trivia if you want to know, that he said he he found somewhere that um, Oprah Winfrey was supposed to be called, her named Orpah after this Bible character, but they got the spelling wrong on the birth certificate, so her name is Oprah now instead of Orpah. Do what you want with that, whatever. <laughs> but there was a time of famine in the land. And so this family decided that they needed to leave and go to a place somewhere where there was no famine and where they could provide for their family. And so they left and went to Moab. Of course, we know that God's plan was them for, the, for them to stay in the land, not to go to other foreign lands. And so they... Um, made a decision to go on. So, one, the first lesson we're going to take a look at is number one in your outline, in your notes, is the hardest of times require the greatest trust in God. All of us go through tough times, some more than others. And there's always different responses to, um, Whatever situation you may be going through, different tough times, some people lose their spouse, some people lose their children, Um, and Sandra and I were talking a while back, I guess just a couple of weeks ago, I don't even know how the subject came up, we were talking about um, how people lose their parents and and that kind of thing, and, and children, and neither one of us have, um, have really lost anyone that was really, really close like that. We've seen her lost her stepfather. And, of course, I've lost grandparents. But, you know, when your grandparents get a little older, you kind of expect them to pass away. But we've never really lost. Um, we both have both our birth parents still alive. And so we haven't really experienced that sadness um, of losing somebody that's really, really close, like, like a parent or a child. And so it's really sometimes for me, it's hard for me to, um, to relate to people and, and understand how they're feeling. Uh, I just went to a funeral yesterday of someone who, um, someone worked for me, they lost their mother. And, um, and so, you know, I, I can understand people's sadness and they get sad, but I don't really understand that because I've never lost a parent or, or someone really close. But when that happens... Um, there 's something that happens in, to, to each of us as we lose somebody that 's really, really close you know there 's a sadness there there 's a, there's a sense of loss. But the family left and then the husband passed away so there was a very hard time for them. They were tested in their in their faith and that God wanted his people to stay there in the land and trust him, but there was something that caused them to make the decision to leave and go where God didn't want them to go. As a parent, I can understand them especially if you have two sons that you know, are sickly that are evidently weren't that healthy you know, to, to rationalize this, the, the decision that hey, if we stay here during this famine, you know, our two sons may die because we, don't, we can't provide for them. and So there might have been a, a test of their faith that way. But the family felt like they had to compromise and leave, and so they left. And the same type of test comes to to us today. Again, as I talked about, we don't have to get up and plan our food and wait for the rain every day. But there's different situations in our families or in our work that test our convictions. You know, we talked about that again a couple of weeks ago. And so there's different tests that come along that tempt us to compromise on what God wants us to do. And that's what happened with this family. As Christians, we're told that um, we are not to be in partnership, the New Testament talks about, with unbelievers. And so we see this family leaving, you know, the security of Israel and going to a foreign land where there's foreign gods. You know, and I know what you're thinking. Tom, just a few weeks ago, we talked about, you know, integrating into culture and building friendships and bridges and stuff like that. You know, and God wants us to do that. Matter of fact, Paul, you know, probably the greatest missionary in the New Testament. You know, that's what he did. He went to foreign lands and he, and he spread the gospel. But Paul also writes in uh, 2 Corinthians, he says, "'Do not be mismatched with unbelievers. For what partnership is there between righteousness and lawlessness?' Or what fellowship does light have with darkness? And Paul was talking to the Christians there in Corinth, and he was telling them that, um, you know, it's not that we're not supposed to build relationships with people and and have friendships and, and witness to other people, but what he's talking about is close partnerships, things like marriage or business partnerships, things that would cause us to compromise what we believe. And so this family left and went to a foreign land where there was foreign influences. Next we're going to look at God's people face tragedies just like everyone else. So Elimelech dies. And again, you can't put can't use your imagination too much, but you know, as you read through this story, you're wondering what well, what happened to the guy? Did he just die? Did he fall out and hit his head on a rock or, you know, did he was there some kind of sickness that he had, but the Bible doesn't tell us that. So, I guess it's really not that important. But we can't add to what it says. All we know is that he died. It also doesn't say, and I know you're like me when you read through this story, you know, I've read it probably, you know, lots of times in the past. When I read through this story, I read that he left and went to Moab, then he died. So he must have died because he went to Moab, right? Well, it doesn't say that. And we can't infer that. Although that would be consistent. With God's character and with the way he works sometimes, but it also is not consistent with the way he works in other times. Because the same thing happened with Abraham, same thing happened with Jacob when there was a famine in the land, they left and went to Egypt. Neither one of them died, so we can't say that necessarily Elimelech died because he went to Moab. It's a possibility, but it doesn't say that's why he died. But all we know is that he passed away, the father passes away, and the two sons marry Moabite women. Again, they weren't supposed to do that. And they live for 10 years without having any children or any heirs to the family name, and then they pass away. And so put yourself in the place of Naomi, a woman left by herself in a foreign land with two other ladies, her daughters-in-laws. And you can imagine how she felt and how insecure she must have felt. We have to be careful. I know for me, it's, it's, um, this is one of my, I guess, weaknesses, one of my temptations, is when I hear something that happens to someone, especially if you know they're a bad person, you know, you, you wonder, oh yeah, they got it, you know? Anybody do that? I'm not the only one. Come on. <laughs> you know, I have to catch myself sometimes when I hear a story or when I hear about someone who um, obviously was, is not living for God or, or hurting other people. When I hear something bad happen to them, you know, I, I, I get that little, and I got to catch myself sometimes. It's a, it's a temptation for me. So we need to be careful as we read this story the same thing. There was a lot of suspicion in Jesus' day also about the same thing. In Luke 13, it says, this is just a little small part of the story. Some people had come to Jesus and asked him about these people that had died, you know, and he says, or those 18 that the tower of Siloam fell on and killed, do you think they were more sinful than all the people who lived in Jerusalem? And so their whole idea was, look, there was these 18 people and a building fell on them. That must be God's judgment. He must be killing them for something they did. And Jesus says, no. He says, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish as well. And he's talking about eternal perishment. He wasn't talking about a foot building falling on them. So Jesus clearly points out that just because something bad happens to someone doesn't mean they're living out of God's will or they're living in sin or they did something bad. Sometimes things just happen as part of God's plan. But we can be sure that, number three, God's people are never... Outside of his attention. Even when there are famines, you can be thankful that the famines never last forever. Verse six says the Lord had paid attention to his people's need by providing them food. The famine was over in the land of in Bethlehem, and God had provided his people with food. So no matter how terrible a time we have or how badly we feel or how sad we feel, God is always there to provide for us. No matter what the situation, He is there to meet our needs. One of the things that... um, it really helps people. And they do, we do this at funeral. A lot of times, you know, you read something from the Psalms because it encourages us It, 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 you know, it helps us at the Psalm 23, you know, and and other Psalms we share at funerals. As I said, I went, attended a funeral yesterday and, um, you know, there, you can look up online a while back. Um, um, I helped someone with their funeral. I did a, a funeral service and, and I was just kind of looking at some things online. There's, and you know, there's websites that tell you what not to say at a funeral. You know, don't say this and don't say that. There are things that you can say that can encourage people and lift them up. And um, as I was thinking about, you know, things that happen to bad people and, and our attitude and our response to that, I thought about Psalm 27, which was written by, this, this will be the part of the story in a couple of weeks, Ruth's great-great-grandson David wrote this when he was running from his enemies. And if you have an outline, let me encourage you to do something. Don't do this in the, in the Bible that's in the chairs, and we don't want you writing in those. <laughs> but a good thing to do when you read a, a, a section of Scripture sometimes is underline the verbs. So if you have an outline, you can do this, or if you have your own Bible, uh, I don't know if you, you can do it on your phone, but, what, but let me read through this. I want you to underline the verbs in these first couple of verses. David writes when he was running from his enemies... For he will conceal me in his shelter in the day of adversity. He will conceal me. He also says, he will hide me under the cover of his tent. He will hide me. Underline hide, hide there. Now, um, I was watching something the other day and, and I heard him tell the story about the, and things in the Middle East. And, and even today, they do the same thing. But especially um, in times past, you know, the, the, the Bedouins and the people that traveled around, they lived in tents, you know, and they would wrap up their tent and take it with them and go somewhere, and then they set their tent back up. And, um, and there was a tradition, you know, it was, it was kind of expected that if someone were to show up who was running from trouble or from an enemy, they showed up at your tent, you were obligated to hide them or to, to help them, to protect them. And it reminded me of a story... Um, Years ago, I, I was spending some time uh, at my cousin's house out in California, and her husband um, was in the Marines, and he was in the Marines during Gulf Storm, or Gulf, the first Gulf War. I can't remember what it was called, but the first Gulf War. And he flew helicopters, and he said that one time they were on, going on a mission, and they were going, and uh, they, they completed their mission, and they were flying back to the base, and something happened with the helicopter. They didn't get shot down or anything, but it, something broke. And they ended up crash landing in the desert somewhere, and they had no idea where they were at. Or you know, what was going to happen to them. But they said as soon as they crashed, some um, Bedouins showed up and they took them in, took them to their tent and fed them and let them spend the night there until somebody came and got them. It reminded me of this, this situation that David wrote about. He says that he will hide me under the cover of his tent, talking about God. And then we see David's response. First, he says he will set me on a high rock. Then we see David's response. Then my head will be high above my enemies around me. I will offer sacrifices in his tent with shouts of joy. Underline, I will sing. Make music to the Lord. So we see that God provides for us in tough times, no matter how bad things seem to be, no matter how far south things seem to go with us. God's plan for us when we face tough times is to cling to him, to, help him, to, to, to have him help us and, and cover us and lift us up and encourage us. That's what he wants to do. Number four in your outline, adversity and insecurity can lead to bitterness. Naomi was left in a land by herself with her two daughters-in-law. No men to protect her, to provide for her. You can imagine the insecurity that she felt and also the bitterness that went along with losing her whole family. Here was Naomi in a foreign land with just two other women, and she hears that God has provided for them, and so they pack up and they move back. Even though she thinks about what's going to be waiting for her while she's there, that there'll be you know, food and, and maybe someone to help her, she still has the bitterness and the anger left over from losing her family. Verse 13 says, My life is much too bitter for you, talking to her daughters-in-laws, because the Lord's hand has turned against me. In verse 20 she says, Don't call me Naomi, which meant pleasant, but call me Mara, which meant bitter. She answered, For the Almighty has made me very bitter. Here was a woman who saw herself or her decisions as the whole, the direct um result of God taking her family. She said she she looked at herself and the decisions that she made as the reason for her family being dead or dying. It says that, you know, God has turned his hand against me. And so it asked you know it it I wonder if maybe that she didn't have some kind of influence over her husband as they made that decision. You know, in that day, it was the husband that you would think that would have made all the decisions, but she seems to feel responsible for the decision to leave Bethlehem and go to Moab. And so she sees herself as being the cause of her hard time. In verse 21, she says, I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. There was an acknowledgement there was no acknowledgement that Ruth, her daughter-in-law, you know, we read the story how Ruth clung to her and came back with her. Even when she got back to Bethlehem, there was no acknowledgement that, hey, God has at least given me a good friend, a daughter-in-law, who's going to care for me and be with me. She was so bitter that, you know, just imagine yourself, put yourselves in Ruth's place. If you get to Bethlehem, you know, you're in a place you'd never been before. To her, it was a foreign land and you're with your mother-in-law, and your mother-in-law says, I went away full, but now I've come back empty, even though I have Ruth here with me. I'm empty. You know, there was a bitterness there that went way deep in her heart. Even though she had Ruth with her, she felt alone and bitter. So that's kind of the first part of the story. That's the sad part. But we want to look this morning at Ruth, because that's what the story's all about. The story's not about Naomi, it's not about her husband or her son's dying, even though that's part of the story. The main part of our story is about Ruth, and that's what we want to focus on. It's about a woman who lost her husband also. It's about a woman who had been barren for 10 years, it says that she was married for 10 years and never had any children. And if you know, again, in that day, that was something that was most important for women to have children, especially male children, they wanted. But her husband had passed. She was going to a foreign land where there really was no hope of gaining another husband. Even if they, she found someone or met someone, you know, she's probably thinking, even if I meet someone there, you know, who's going to want to marry someone who's been barren for 10 years and probably cannot have children or haven't had children at least? And so you imagine what's going through her head. But Ruth had something that she clung to, not just her mother-in-law, but her faith. There's a story uh, I want to share with you. Um, There's a picture. I think Roxanne has that up there. Next picture. Yeah, there's a little X here um, that's made out of stones. This is in um, Oxford, England. Some of you may have heard this story, but a lot of people don't even know why this uh, set of stones is is in the road. There's a um, street called Broad Street in, in Oxford, England. And if you go down there and look, you'll see this. It's in the road, not very big. Probably people walk over it um, every day who have no idea why that's there, why this X is in the middle of the road. But in 1553, when Mary, a lot of, Queen Mary, became queen, a lot of people know her as Bloody Mary. You may have seen some movies about that. She worked to bring England back to the Roman Catholic Church. One of her first acts was to arrest Arrest Bishop Ridley, Bishop Latimer, and Archbishop Thomas Cranmer. When Ridley was asked if he believed the Pope was heir to the authority of Peter as the foundation of the church, he replied that the church was not built on any man, but on the truth, Peter confessed, that Christ was the Son of God. Ridley said... He could not honor the Pope in Rome since the papacy was seeking its own glory, not the glory of God. Neither Ridley or Latimer, the other two men, could accept the Roman Catholic Mass as a sacrifice of Christ. Latimer told the commissioners, Christ made one oblation and sacrifice for the sins of the whole world, and that a perfect sacrifice. So these three men took a stand on their faith against Queen Mary. And they were burned alive on Broad Street, where this X is. They took a stand. And I won't read the story, but you can go online and read that if you want. Did I just die? There it goes. Um, But you can go and read the story. I mean, it's a horrific story how these three men were burned alive at the stake for what they believed. And so they took a stand at that place for what they believed. And Ruth did the same thing. Somewhere between Moab and Bethlehem, on that trip back, it doesn't say how far they had gone, doesn't say how far along the journey they were, but Naomi told them to go back to their country and to their God, to their people. And a key part of what Naomi said is that you need to do this for security's sake, for your security, because you can go back and find a husband, find a family. But Ruth, somewhere, probably not on that road, but at some time, she had embraced God and put her faith in him, in Naomi's God, and so she took a stand on that road, and she said, "This, this, I'm going with you. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with your people and with your God. And so she took a stand in that place. So that brings us to the last point. Our life story changes when we take a step of faith. Have you ever had to make a difficult decision? You know, none of us will probably have to make that difficult decision to take a stand where we'll be burned at the stake. But all of us have made important decisions in our life, whether it be to, to start a business or to follow Christ in faith or, or to make a, step out on faith and make a big decision. You know, I think about times at um, maybe a conference or, you know, a revival somewhere where, you know, you can just feel that God is, is, is tugging at your heart. You know, he wants me to turn from the direction I'm going and go in a totally different direction. I love that word in the New Testament, repent. Jesus uses it so many times and and the writers use that that word, repent. And what that simply means is that at one time, I'm headed this direction and when I repent, I turn completely around and go in the opposite direction. And that's what Ruth had done at one time. She left her people, the, the gods of her people, and she embraced the God of Israel, and put her faith in that. She completely changed what she believed, and she was completely committed to God and to his people and to Naomi. Verse 8 says, She said to them, Each of you go back to your mother's home. May the Lord show mercy. This is what Naomi said. Each of you go back to your mother's home. May the Lord show faithful love to you as you have shown to the dead and to me. Which says to me that Ruth had placed her faith in God and she was committed to him. That word there in your Bible's faithful love is a Hebrew word has said. And, And if you read different commentaries and you study a little bit about that Hebrew word, it's a very complex word for us to translate. Matter of fact, in our, in our Old Testament, it's translated in different ways, different places, and it's it has more than one meaning. It means love, but it also means kindness. It also means mercy, but it also can mean loyalty. And it's used to describe, a lot of times, used to describe God's love for us and his I I hate to use the word loyalty because he's not loyal to us, but his commitment to us and his commitment to his people, to love his people and to provide for them. And Naomi says that these two sisters, sister-in-laws had this same love for her, that there was a loving kindness there. So that says to me that they had a faith in the one true God and they understood what it meant not just to love God, but also to love Naomi in the same way. In times past, we've, um, we've done this in our church. There's a psalm, Psalm 136. We won't read the whole thing today, but uh, we've done this in the past where we read through this psalm. And it said in the, in, um, in, the, in the Old Testament times that they would read this psalm out loud, and there's a, there's a, there's a, a first part, and then there's an echo part. You may want to look it up. Psalm 136. I'm just going to read just the first couple of verses. It says, verse 1, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love is eternal. That word, his love is eternal, as that word has said. Some versions say his mercy endures forever. And anybody remember us doing that in church, You know, reading that psalm and repeating back to it in the response? Verse 2 says, Give thanks to the God of gods, His love is eternal. He alone does great wonders. And then you answer back, his love is eternal. Verse 5, he made the heavens skillfully. And then you answer back, his love is... Look, somebody's doing it. That's great. And it goes on and on. I won't read the whole story, but it goes on and on. And this psalm is a picture of God's commitment to his people, Israel. But the same thing is true for us as Christians God loves us with that loving kindness, that mercy, the never ending love. And He expects us to show that same love to other people. And that's what Ruth did to Naomi. She made a commitment to her. And she followed her back to her people. And as we go through the story in a couple of weeks, you'll see how she was committed to her and provided for her and went out and gleaned in the fields and provided for for Naomi. So I'm going to ask you, if you would, bow your heads. You may be here this morning. You may have never come to that place like Ruth did where you were willing to make a stand in the road and say, this is where I'm going. This This is where my heart is. This is where my commitment is. I know a lot of you, I've heard a lot of your stories and, and a lot of you have the same story that that at one point God was just pulling you and tugging you and, and and forcing you almost to make that decision. And so if you've never done that, we encourage you this morning, come talk to me afterwards, I can help you with that. If you, uh, if you, you say, I'm not really sure what, what you're talking about, about putting my faith in Christ for salvation, we'd love to explain that to you. Uh, you may have been someone like Naomi who has lost... a you know, someone or or have gone through a tough time and struggling with that bitterness. And we'd love to pray for you and help you in that way also. So I'm going to pray for you right now. Father God, we thank you for um, who you are. Father, your character, as we looked at this morning, is one who loves us, one who longs to show us mercy and grace. Father, you also love to provide for us. The Father, it all hinges on our faith in you. And so I pray, Father, that if there's someone here this morning who's struggling with that, who's never crossed the, that line of faith, who's never made that commitment to you, I pray, God, that today will be that day. If there's something we can do to help them, I pray, Father, you will help us to do that. I also pray for people here, Father, who have lost people, who have gone through great loss, who have gone through tragedy, people that may be struggling with bitterness and feelings of insecurity, I pray, Father, for them, lift them up this morning. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. This has been a presentation of Nags Head Church. Love God, love others, reach the world.